Welcome to episode one of Foster This. I'm BZ Phillips, Director of Communications and Marketing with CASA of Oklahoma County, and I'm here with CASA's Recruitment Director, Kathy North. Hello. So this is the first episode. This is our pilot episode. Mm-hmm. Kathy, can you let our listening audience know a little bit about why we're doing this podcast and what role you serve at CASA? Absolutely. So as Recruitment Director, I work with BC to get the word out about CASA. And then as people show interest and express interest, we talk to them, give them all the information they need to know and make sure we're bringing the right people in. And then we screen. Obviously, we screen heavily because... People are going to have access to vulnerable children, and we take that very seriously as part of our advocacy. And so that's what I do here at CASA. I've been with CASA for 11 years, and my first nine years I spent doing advocacy, supervision, and team lead. Then I've just been director of recruitment for two years, and I love it. And, you know, we're doing this podcast because there is so much information and a little misinformation out there about child welfare, foster care, child advocacy. It scares people. Um, They hear things on the news and and it feels like all you can do is kind of shake your head and shed a tear. Um, But there is more you can do and there's more to know. And so we're here to shed a whole lot of light and explore options for making things better. Yeah, in our in our continual efforts to spread public awareness about CASA, we've really tried to think outside the box in ways that we could reach the broader community and helping provide some of those discussion topics and resources and, and things like that through a podcast felt like a natural next step in the evolution of our public outreach methods. And I'm going to pause right here and just say, if you hear any background noise, like the plane, I think, that just went over, we, we, are, we are still fig- figuring out our studio setup. And so um, so excuse any any strange noises you might hear in the background uh, as, as we kind of figure out this process. This, yeah. That's why we're <laughs> recording a pilot episode, so we can kind of Absolutely. test out how this is all going to work. So as part of this podcast, Kathy, uh, we had mm-hmm. talked about doing the top three foster care stories from the news from the last week. I'm very excited because BC refused to tell me which topics and which breaking stories he was going to share. And so I've, I'm very excited. So these are the top three foster care stories shared on social media in the last couple of weeks. And I want to encourage the listening audience, you can share a story with us on Twitter by tagging hashtag FC in the news and go ahead and tag our at Casa of OK Co Twitter account to let us know. So foster care in the news. The number three story that we shared this week was called Peace Out Foster Care. Entire third grade class celebrates a girl's adoption day. Oh my god. So, the headline here is, There wasn't a dry eye inside an Adams County courthouse on Tuesday after a third grade girl found her forever family. Aerith was surrounded by dozens of her Louisville Elementary School classmates for the proceedings. Aerith met her new mom, Jessie, at a foster source support group. The two instantly connected and now will forever be part of each other's lives. And uh, if you look uh, at the, the photos, it is a whole courtroom full of children. Oh, <laughs> Everyone Google this. It's precious. Uh, the little boy with his little red tie. In the 
<laughs> He's like, Mom, I'm going to court. And they all this have is serious business. They all have little red hearts pinned to their chests. Oh my gosh. It's very adorable. You know what that reminds me of? Um, I was speaking to a member of our staff who has fostered and adoptive fostered and adopted three children. And I said, Hey, Mika, um, if you had one piece of advice to give for people who were thinking about becoming a foster parent, what would it be? And she said have a support group, have a support system, and keep building it. She said it's a game changer to have a good support system. And so, and I think that's not only for the foster parents but and the adoptive parents, but for the children as well, and that's what we're seeing here. So if you have enough big support system, you might, or big enough support system, you might end up on the news. You know, it's really <laughs> great also to see kids uh, at that age getting adopted into their forever homes. Mm. I think about, like, the volatility of being a third grader. Mm. Uh, when I was in third grade, my, my father was laid off and had mm. to do work in Georgia mm. at the exact same time that we were moving to our brand new house in the country. And so like for three months, my sister and I slept on the floor of my mom's room because dad wasn't home for three months. And it was, it was super scary to be out in the middle of the country in the dark. Wolves howling. <laughs> right. There's a and lot it, of crickets out there. It's a scary there. time. Can you imagine being adopted at, at, you know, in third grade and, and all the feelings and emotions that come along with that to be surrounded yeah. by, by a community of support like that is, is really incredible. And to celebrate it, celebrate that permanency for a child. It's beautiful. And sometimes I think the older a child gets in foster care, the harder it is for them to become adopted, which is just so sad. And we'll talk a little bit about that, um, mm-hmm. about the needs. So the number two story we shared this week, this one um, is uh, actually, it's tonally quite a bit different. It's called Throw Away Kids, and it was an article about the foster care to prison pipeline. Oh my gosh. He still has the last name of a woman who adopted him in grade school, then gave him back. From the time he was three until he turned 14, Dominic Williamson was bounced to 80 different foster homes. When he turned 18, he found himself alone and homeless and resorting to a life of crime. Now, at 20, he has a home more permanent than any he's ever known. The Hutchinson Correctional Facility in Kansas. Oh my gosh. See, that's worst case scenario. And and this is a slightly related to something that we will be covering in a podcast later on about what is it about what is it that determines sex success or non-success, but I think in this one it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. Um, there's that old old quote. I don't even know who said it. Um, so it's a, been repeated so many times. It's a bit of a cliche, but every child is one caring adult away from a success story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And having been at CASA for 11 years and seen a whole lot of that, I would say that that is true. And so um, I think we failed that kid. This Kansas City Star did a survey where they surveyed nearly 6,000 inmates across 12 states. And from their survey, one in four of the inmates they surveyed said that they were a product of foster care. Okay. Well, it's one of those things that's like shocking, but at the same time, not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where it's, it's a, it's a hard thing, hard to hear. Um, and so it's hard to know what the solution is because when I, when I think about, um, you know, we call here in Oklahoma DHS department of human services and, and having worked with these child welfare workers for years, 
man, these people will do about anything for these kids. Yeah. These are hardworking people who deeply care. And so we see, we see some incredible, incredibly wonderful things coming out of DHS. They get a bad rap, but man, there's some good people there. And um, what it boils down to is the state's not meant to parent. Right. The state is not meant to be a parent. It's not built to parent children. And so we've, you know, that brings us to this this foster care crisis and this foster care shortage. The foster care to prison pipeline, part of part of what you were saying was it it is the state does not make a good parent. No. But also nothing in the systems that we have set up is really set up to break those cycles. And uh, that's where it in a state like Oklahoma the the nonprofit sector is mm-hmm. stepping in to help provide those resources and provide that cycle breaking. Yeah, and it's necessary. Um, it takes a community, and I say this all the time. These are our children. I don't care if you've never met this kid. They're our children, and we're here to take care of them. Uh, the state, whatever they do, they can't be a child or a parent, so they can't be a child either, I don't think. <laughs> um, so when it's organizations like ours, like CASA of Oklahoma County and other CASA programs, when it's uh, places like Pivot and Sunbeam and mm-hmm. some of these some of these organizations um, do incredible work. Um, and also these organizations that help these parents be, become you know, recover, um, remerge. I've seen some incredible stuff come out of remerge because ideally, ideally these parents can get to a place where they can provide a safe and stable home for their children. And those children can go back to their biological families. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's our first choice. If that can happen, that's wonderful. Safely, obviously. So speaking of pivot, our number one story oh. shared on social media this, this past period was homeless teens who've aged out of foster care moving into tiny homes. Yes. Have you ever wondered what becomes of teenagers who have aged out of foster care? Where do they live? How do they make a living? Well, Pivot Incorporated wondered the same things, and since the answers weren't clear, they decided to do something about it. And so they did. They built tiny homes right behind the Pivot offices in Oklahoma so that teenagers that live there can also visit them for advice and other services the organization offers when they need it. Have you seen this? Have you seen these pictures? Uh, yeah, I've seen a couple of them. I really want to, I think they would, I think they'll let us tour. I've seen that picture. I want to check out these tiny homes. I love this. <laughs> I don't know about you, but at 18, I was not independent. No, no. no. I was not equipped to deal with it. And I, I'm trying to think if I even had a bank account at 18. <laughs> <laughs> I got one at 17. I'm so responsible. Yeah. I'm still with the same bank. Yeah. Wow. I know. That's uh, a valuable oh God. customer. I can't believe I'm saying this, but that was 22 years later. I'm still at the same bank. And so I can't help but, you know, would I, if I had no... No parental support all of a sudden the second I turned 18 and no support from anyone. I mean, can I really say that I wouldn't have been homeless and that I wouldn't have potentially um, resorted to illegal activities to survive? I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know that. Especially what if I hadn't been given um, decent coping skills as I was being raised as a child. 
Right. You know, these these kids have a lot against them. And if you, you have no parental figure mm-hmm. and say you do need access to some kind of resource, say you do need to learn how to set up a bank account, yeah. having the pivot staff right there, right outside mm-hmm. your door so you can run over and say, I don't know how to write a check. Can you show me how to write a check? This yeah. this for real happened to me. I was trying to pay for my books at Rogers State University <laughs> the first semester and I filled out the check all wrong. <laughs> Sorry. And I only I'm had <laughs> I only had the one check with me, so I couldn't buy my books, and I had to go back the next day <laughs> <laughs> with another check. Yeah, yeah, it was really bad. That's so fun. I think I wrote my first check. Um, it was one that my I was going to a Mary Kay party, <laughs> and I was like 15, and my mom had told me how much I could spend uh-huh. and pre-signed it, and then I very carefully. It took me like 25 minutes. <laughs> Checks are scary. They're frightening. I can't tell you the last time I wrote a check. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. huge props to Pivot. Pivot is one of our, <laughs> our close collaborators. Pivot has done all kinds of cool stuff with us. They rode mm-hmm. the streetcar with us. They've, I think they came to Trivia Night. Oh, totally. Trivia a, Night. A, a couple Trivia Nights, yeah. They're a super great organization, and they, yes. they love to be friends here in Oklahoma City. Yes, and they um, and they are so passionate. Um, they truly go above and beyond to do what they need to do for these kids. I remember hearing about um, this one kid who got a, um, ended up getting – they helped him – fill out all the paperwork, do everything you need to do, and end up getting a football scholarship to go get a free wow. ride to college. And they all showed up to his first game cheering and That's screaming cool. for him. I mean, uh, they're being the village. It's beautiful. That's super great. That's foster care in the news. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So each episode of this show, Kathy, we're going to be highlighting a specific area or mm-hmm. issue or sector within the foster care realm. And for this this first episode, we chose to look at fostering and foster homes specifically mm-hmm. as something to focus on. And we spoke with one of your colleagues yesterday that actually does foster home recruitment for Oklahoma DHS. Yes. Picked her brain a little bit as we got ready for this episode. Yes. And specifically, you know, when we think about um, foster homes currently, if you're in this industry, what you're... the the term that comes to mind is shortage, not mm-hmm. enough. And uh, it is the truth. In fact, we have it written down here as foster home crisis because um, <laughs> right. it is a crisis. And, you know, uh, and looking even at, I was looking at an, an article by the Washington Post that came out just last month. Um, uh, this is not an Oklahoma thing or, or an Oklahoma County thing. This is uh, a nationwide thing. And, you know, talking to uh, it's Latrina Rich, she uh, works for uh, Oklahoma DHS and recruits foster parents and foster homes um, for them. And um, she said the same thing that was said in this article, that the, the reason that foster homes are preferred and foster care is preferred, it's um, as the... Uh, Washington Post put it, is there's an assumption of stability. Again, the state does not make a good parent. And that is why they enlist families to take in these children and provide that family environment until those children can be um, have safe permanency, whether that's returning to their biological homes or adoption. So in meeting with Ms. Rich, she uh, confirmed yeah, there's a massive shortage, and so we wanted to get into why. Why is there this? Sh- why is there this shortage? Um, and when we discussed this, she said that there's a lot of fear. 
Yeah. A lot of people, and we hear it too, um, where people are um, worried. And she said the biggest worry is safety, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, you know, especially if you've not been um, exposed to this this area and you're like, think about people who have their children taken away and what are they into? Who are Who do they associate with? And I think what you find out when you work in this area is that these are people, mm-hmm. they're humans who are in a very bad spot. And so um, the issues with safety are not near what you think they could p- potentially be. That's something I've learned. Um, I've been in a lot of homes. I've said a lot of things that people didn't like. <laughs> um, yeah. I've advocated in ways that maybe didn't make me popular with a biological family. Um uh, and, and never, I don't feel in 11 years been in danger. Yeah, um, you know, the, it, you're hard pressed to find parents who don't love their children. Yeah. And no matter how contentious the foster system can be, particularly court dates mm-hmm. uh, and visits, at the end of the day, most of these folks realize that the people involved care about their children. Yeah. The cost of volunteer cares about their children. The DHS worker cares about their children. And so, I, you know, when you talk to CASA volunteers, the, the, the safety concerns kind of melt away after those first yeah. few visits when they have built a rapport with these parents, typically have built a rapport with these parents, and everyone is kind of on the same page that we're trying to do what's best for these mm-hmm. children. It's just there may be some disagreement about what that is. Of course. And, and it's a big, huge gray area. And you know what? Some of those disagreements are actually a strength. Because what we're doing is we're all bringing a different perspective, a different thought on it, different opinions, different information, all to the court. And then the judge has is able to see, you know, five different ways around this issue and really make an informed decision having heard from all of us. Um, and, and really, it's the way the system works best. So what everyone needs to learn is to disagree without being mad. Yep. But when it comes to it, we specifically talked to Miss Rich about safety and foster parents. And much as we do with CASA volunteers, there is some major insulation. Um, when it comes to contact with the parents, that's not a that's not a foster care workers uh, or I'm sorry, a foster parents' uh, primary job. Their job is to parent and love this child and provide stability for them temporarily. Um, until they can have permanency. Um, and so if you have concerns, I'll be honest, DHS is going to really want to make sure that you feel safe. Um, there's no requirement that you have your personal information given to biological families. No requirement. Um, and so DHS can provide that insulation, doing the back and forth, um, visitation, things like that. And so if that is, if you've ever thought about being a foster parent, because I think a lot of people have, mm-hmm. and that's your concern, I would recommend that maybe you contact um, DHS and you can call Latrina Rich and um, get in touch with her um, and she can give you the information you need. Uh, one thing I found that I we found when we talked to uh, Miss Rich yesterday is that they have a very similar um, recruitment philosophy that we do here at CASA, we're not interested in talking anybody into anything. Mm-hmm. This is difficult stuff. It's hard to do. 
And um, when you talk someone into it, that's just that's not fair to anyone involved. Um, what we want to do is provide very transparent, full information um, so you can make a decision uh, for what's best for you. And they do the same thing. Yeah, you know, I, one of the words that uh, Miss Rich used yesterday when we were talking to her that really caught my ear was recalibrate. Mm. She talked about how as she shepherds someone through the foster care journey as they're going through screening and training and all that, she takes moments to recalibrate with them so that they can check their motivations for why they're there. Yes. And I, I, I thought that was so fascinating because it's very reflective of what you and your team do when you're helping volunteers screen themselves. Definitely. Managing expectations is very big. Um, and I think this happens probably more with foster care than it does with us, where someone came in thinking this was going to be one thing and then realizing it's not, and you they mean... can screen themselves out. So like, so like if someone's like, um, we're going to foster to adopt with uh-huh. DHS so we can get a baby and foster them until it's time for us to adopt them. Uh-huh. Does that never, never happen? No. But that is not what's needed, and that's what they want. What are the needs right now? These children that are in uh, DHS custody right now um, and what what those needs are. And I'm sorry, but that's just not always an infant who's then going to be adopted. Um, because I mean, yeah, a lot of them, she was saying, are teenagers. Yes. <laughs> Kids over the age of 12. And, boy, i got to say, I think teenagers get a bad rap. I've yeah. met some... I've met some kids who are in foster care where I'm just like, golly, if someone would just provide you with stability and encouragement and support Mm -hmm. and parent you and guide you, it'd be amazing to see where they go. Um, And so this is very potentially rewarding, rewarding stuff here. Um, And so the obvious question is when we have such a shortage of foster homes, where do these kids go? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the main answer is probably shelters. And now it's true. If a child's in a shelter, they have a warm bed. They're being fed. They're not being abused or neglected, ideally. Um, I mean, I've not seen I've not seen that happen. So, um, so that's good. They are safe. That's great. But it is not ideal. Again, the state's not a parent. And shelters are often what it looks like when a sh- when a, the state is a parent. Or sometimes you'll have a kid who's staying in the DHS office, and DHS workers mm-hmm. have to take turns staying with them till they find a place for this child to go. Guys, they are desperate for foster parents. Um, yeah, this, these numbers that that Ms. Rich shared with us are kind of startling. They're mm-hmm. currently like taking a pulse of Oklahoma County. There are twelve hundred sixty four children in out of home care. Mm. that's a lot <laughs> it's 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 kind of staggering and you know she did provide us with some information which i will tell you we are going to address in a future um in a future episode of this podcast um but in uh, the region that covers oklahoma county um 481 children are white 292 are african-american and 48 are native american when you compare this to the general population of Oklahoma County, it is alarmingly disproportionate. Um, more children of color are being brought into the foster care system by a pretty staggering amount. And um, we need to address that. Um, that is something that has been um, some longstanding things that uh, it's time to time to 
uh, take some action on. But we will cover that in another episode because that needs its own episode, disproportionality. Yeah. Well, taking a deep dive into the disproportionality that exists, mm. not just in Oklahoma's foster care system, but across the nation. Everywhere. Is, is definitely warranting <laughs> of its own episode and, and, and really some exploration and soul searching into why that exists and and what how that story plays mm-hmm. out over generations of families. Miss Rich has some really good insight into that, and so we'll probably check with her again on that. Um, so we know that if everyone, or even a fraction of the people who have said, um, you know, I've kind of thought about being a foster parent, or it crosses their mind, decided to take the plunge and do it we would be in a wonderful position. Um, and so let's let's talk about that. What do you think? Sure. What those criteria are. Um, so one thing we want to address and, and clarify, um, there was a bill passed that allowed foster care agencies to reject foster parents based on sexual orientation. But We need to be clear that that did not outlaw um, same-sex couples or members of the LGBT community to foster. And Miss Rich made it very clear that um, she would love, if you are a member of the LGBT community and have considered fostering, she would love to talk to you about that. Oklahoma DHS will not discriminate in that way. She's like, oh, we do not care. (laughs) Um, And I I will say, same stands for CASA of Oklahoma County. We will never discriminate um, when it comes to advocating for children or advocates. And so we would also love to talk to you about serving in this way if you don't want to foster. so Absolutely. If you would like to volunteer with Casa of Oklahoma County, you can visit achildneedyou.org and find that volunteer tab for more information. Yes, you can. <laughs> um, uh, I wish I had your radio voice in my ears. I'm just over here squeaking. It is important to point out that that foster care adoption bill, whatever, was only applicable to private adoption agencies. Yes. And so... Um, I know that there was a lot of furor over it whenever it happened, but it's it's Im- understandably. It, but it's important to look at the actual text of that and know that the state of Oklahoma is is not covered by the language of that bill. Mm-hmm. It's only for private adoption agencies. And so, yeah. in the description of this podcast, we will make sure that uh, Latrina's information is down there, so you can contact her if you'd like more information on fostering in Oklahoma. And she would love to talk to you. And even if she's not the correct person for you to talk to because of your location, um, she will point you in the right direction. She, she said she'd be happy to do that. And so, um, wonderful. Obviously, one of the big things they're looking into is your background. Um, now, it's not incredibly strict. I mean, if you had a, they look at a lot of, there's a lot of things they're looking at case by case. If you had a DUI 15 years ago, that alone will probably not stop you from being a foster parent or a CASA volunteer for that matter. Um, that everyone, as do we, look at things case by case. Of course, there are some no-goes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, sex-related crimes um, are a no-go. Um, there are some things they look at. They look at case by case that were a big no on uh, domestic violence, drug charges, things like that. We just can't really. It's hard for us to get past. Um, and physical assault, child abuse and neglect, obviously, um, is something where you can't necessarily be a foster parent. Um, the, what they're really looking at are violent crimes um, and crimes that if you're still engaging in that behavior, uh, you're could be providing an unsafe environment for the child. And then what's the point for taking him from one unsafe environment to another one? 
And I think um, it's it's important to point out that on on all of these points that you're mentioning, they not only apply to the person applying to be a foster parent, but anyone living within that home as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, you do have that main person who is the, the person that is actually contracting with DHS. But when it comes to the day-to-day life of that child, it doesn't matter who the one who is the one that is on file with DHS. Um, you know, they could have another adult in the home who's just as involved with that child and mm-hmm. and maybe not safely. Um so when they're looking at things like um alcohol or drug related offenses, um things like that, they're uh, or even just if if they, you were looked into like you had a referral to DHS, they're going to look into that and look at it case by case. Um so and understand that if you reach out to DHS thinking you may or may not qualify to be a foster parent reach out you're not they're not going to judge you (laughs) Um, what they're doing here is following the law and their policies and procedures are um are developed based on oklahoma state law which comes out of our state legislature and so that person like miss rich who is going over this with you to see if um, it's an option for you don't worry don't be scared about being judged by her so little tidbit there. Something else that was in this um, Washington Post article that I read was some information about the Family First Prevention Services Act um, that uh, went through Congress in 2018. Um, and it was because this is a nationwide crisis uh, for foster homes. Um, this was uh, supposed to potentially help alleviate that. And it has to do with what we call here in Oklahoma FCS cases, family-centered services. They're often referred to as prevention cases. So what this is means is that the family needs services. The family needs some help in order to have an acceptable home for their children. And so DHS gets involved, but their children are not placed into DHS custody, and there's not court involvement. And so at that point, DHS is coming, is meeting with them, working with them, getting the parent substance abuse treatment, mental health care, more parenting skills training. Um, And uh, when those are successful, DHS says, great job, and we're going to get out of your life. Mm -hmm. Carry on. Sometimes they are not successful, and at that point, those children are brought into DHS custody, and there, and that's at that point, that's when a court case opens. Now, what it's, even though that this was enacted by Congress in 2018, we're not going to see funding for that until 2021, Woo. right? Yeah. So, um, so while um, there is a big focus on those FCS cases, and uh, because of you know, if a child. It's not an imminent danger. They want to leave them in the home because it is a trauma to be removed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there's already a focus on that, at least here in Oklahoma. Um, but I think that if we can have some federal funding to really make those services even more robust, um, and sometimes those children do stay with a family member while this is happening. And since those fam- since the child's not in DHS custody, those family members are not foster parents and don't receive any funding. I have mm-hmm. no idea if this um, Family First Prevention Services Act um, would provide that. But I tell you what, that'd be 
kind of amazing for those families sure. who just take in extra children and, and are expected to make it happen. Time will tell on that one. Yeah, I, I would also be interested to do an episode specifically looking at preventative services in Oklahoma because, mm. I mean, we know just from looking at the data that flows through our program, we know that that preventative services are on the rise and removals are on the decline. Yeah. And so I'd be curious also to talk to somebody more invested in that about what that looks like. Practically, mm -hmm. what does that look like for the children being served? What does that look like? I don't know that it, there's a decrease in child abuse and neglect. Right. And so, um, I mean, if that were the case, that'd be amazing. And so sometimes I can't help but I think we need to dig more into that and take an honest look at where that is. And is it related to the foster home shortage? Or just, you know, without many choices. Right, right. Trying to find another way to go about it. Um yeah, so I would be curious on the successes and 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 hopeful about the outcomes that they're they're seeing from that, and, yeah. and maybe that's something that we can cover in the near future. So you, you mentioned a little bit about about trauma, and we talk a lot these days about adverse childhood experiences. Yeah, and so that gets me thinking about therapeutic foster homes, and I know you've had some experience dealing yes. with those. Can you talk a little bit about what a therapeutic foster home? looks like versus maybe the standard foster home, what extra training goes into that, things like that. Yes. So a therapeutic foster home is what's called a higher level of care, meaning this is a child because of maybe a diagnosis or maybe some um, uh, behaviors or what would more accurately be described as symptoms of trauma because that's what their behaviors typically are, um, uh, is a little higher maintenance to take care of. They it requires more care. It requires more training to know how to respond to those children. Um, so those parents. Um, now I apologize if this is out of date information, but I believe they had needed to have um, a parent who stayed home with mm -hmm. the child, mm -hmm. and so the there was a, a foster parent with that child all the time. But because of that, because of the higher level of care, and then you know the inability to make as much money, the stipend for that foster parent is much higher, um, you know, sometimes twice as much or more um, to take care of these children. And so sometimes you might have a child who um, has gone from like this kid we talked about earlier who's now in prison, um, who went goes from foster home to foster home to foster home to foster home, and um, foster parents keep having them removed because of behaviors maybe Let's look at TFC. Maybe they need somebody who's more prepared to handle those behaviors. Also, uh, sometimes we have children who uh, go into uh, mental health facilities. When that happens, um, a side case, it's kind of like a side case opens, and it's called Child in Need of Treatment, it's, and they call it a JT case. And uh, uh, while that child is in that mental health facility, they have to come before the judge every 30 days. But when a child is released from that mental health facility, meaning they are no longer believed to be a risk of harming themselves or somebody else, um, often they'll transition then into a therapeutic foster home um, as opposed to a regular foster home unless it's maybe a kinship foster home, like a family member. Um, we often see family members who are kinship go ahead and go through that TFC training and become therapeutic foster parents in order to provide that. That's great. Yeah. Oh, That's it's, great. it's, I mean, it's ideal. You know, they're, they're such incredible people. Uh, I will never forget the story. It was told by a mother uh, in a therapeutic foster home 
of this child who had had shocking and heinous abuse and neglect and mm. was emergency removed and, and placed in their home. And this child would just have episodic fits that could last hours. And mm. she would just hold this child for hours until she was done crying it out. Mm. And like, it's just, it breaks your heart. Yeah. But there are these people out there that yeah. are equipped through the training and through their their just mental preparedness to handle this sort of thing because yeah. they're just so overflowing with compassion and love. And like, I feel like we just need to rain praise yes. on, on therapeutic foster homes because it's people have the general public seems to have no real understanding of just how incredible those folks are. Oh, remarkable. Some of the people that I've just been astounded by um, over the last 11 years have been um, foster parents and DHS workers. Unbelievable people. Yeah. Um, even when I am like completely disagreeing with a DHS <laughs> worker and, and feeling a little fiery towards them at the moment, I have never not respected the unbelievable work they do. And I've never questioned whether or not they care about the child. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. All praise <laughs> Trina, <laughs> to these people. Trina was saying yesterday, she said, healthy conflict in the courtroom is important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she said, everyone cares. We all care. We and all I, care. And that's what, to, that's what you've got to remember. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so evident whenever you, you watch what's going on in the courtroom that oh, everyone gosh, yes. is very invested in, in, in these mm -hmm. children. Incredible Which people. is beautiful. <laughs> so, um, and you know what is another amazing thing a lot of foster parents do um, is they bridge. And mm -hmm. when um, they're bridging, it means that we are at a point where we can really get serious about potentially sending these childs home. And it's almost as if they start out by kind of providing a mentorship in a way. And, you know, the parents might come to the home and come to the foster home and the foster home, will, foster parents will say, okay, so this is the bedroom routine, bedtime routine that we've been having. They're very accustomed to it. It's been working really well. And the parent does it instead of the foster parent. And That's so you're awesome. slowly but surely like rebuilding this parent-child relationship with the biological parent. Um, and it's very comfortable for the child. What a wonderful. And then the slowly but surely the parent is um, taking on more and more of the responsibility. And so it's like part of this. And just like we talk about when, you know, Mika said um, to be a foster parent, you need a big support system. Mm -hmm. You know what? To be a parent. You need a big support Absolutely. system, especially if you are a parent who um, whose income is below the poverty line, especially yeah. if you're a parent who didn't grow up being given coping skills by your biological family. Mm -hmm. um, you need a support system, a support system. And oftentimes we see um, foster parents and CASA volunteers being that support system. We, I've seen some beautiful stuff go on <laughs> that benefits yeah. the children. So I, th I think the the major takeaway is that foster fostering children is not there's not a lot of major barriers to entry. No. Um, you I, it goes back to what Trina was saying yesterday. You have to be willing to work with the population that needs to be served right now. Yes. So you can't be picky. Right. And you have to have fairly clear expectations, understanding that there's always a chance that these children mm -hmm. can go back home. Yes. 
and not only a chance, but a, we have a desire for yes. these children. If it can, if if it is safe and in the child's best interest, we are all celebrating reunification. Absolutely. Um, uh, one more thing, you know, we didn't mention that Trina did mention. Um, are the uh, financial requirements mm, mm-hmm. um, to be a foster parent? We're talking of barriers to entry. Yeah, <laughs> and um, you know what? Uh, they are so open-minded about this. Mm-hmm. They don't say, "Oh, a family of five must make this much money." To no, it is not like that. They want to know: Can you cover your bills? Right. Are you paying your bills? Right. Are you about to foreclose or get evicted? Are you, you know? Well, can you pick up the basic necessities, a bed, yeah. a pack and play, uh, child safety seats for your car, things like that? Yeah. If you're, if you do not need to be wealthy by any stretch. Um, uh, just need to be covering your bills. Yeah. And so um, I think maybe don't hold back based on that. If you can, uh, if if you're paying your electric bill and your mortgage, Maybe maybe talk to DHS about being a, a foster parent. So um, you don't need to have a six-bedroom, 6,000-square-foot home to <laughs> bring a bunch of children in. Uh, so, um, and, you know, if you're not ready to foster, find your local CASA program. <laughs> yes. We would be happy to take a couple years of your time so you can serve foster children, get to know the system, get to know how court works. Yeah. And, uh, and make a difference in the life of a child. Definitely. And I think that if there's one takeaway, it needs to be that pretty much everyone can do something. Yes. Um, so fostering a child is huge. More, and I, I say the same thing with CASA all the time, more people can do it than realize they can do it. Um, people say all the time, oh, I don't know how you do that. I could never do that. You know what? You probably could. Mm-hmm. I say that with foster care. I say that with being a CASA. Um, both of those are deep dives. Now, the CASA is not quite as deep as foster care um, because we're talking more like a commitment of like 15 hours a month as opposed to 24-7 living in your home. Um, so it's much less, but it is still very involved. You'll still get emotionally involved, um, and it'll still be become a part of who you are um, to be a CASA volunteer. So I would love to talk to anyone about becoming a, FOSA, a CASA volunteer. Please feel free to give me a call at uh, 405-594-3384. And even if you're not in Oklahoma County, I'm still happy to answer those basic questions and get you pointed into the right direction because there is a child somewhere who needs you and needs you to stick up for them and, and have their backs. Um, so that's important. You know what? If neither of those sound like a possibility to you, that's okay. Follow us on social media. Share what we're talking about on our podcast. You know, we all have that person, that friend who we think, oh, they'd be so good at that. They'd be such mm-hmm. a good cost of volunteer. Well, let's go have coffee <laughs> and let's talk more about that. Um, contact me or whatever is your local CASA program or your local DHS office because there is something you can do, even if it's just spreading the word and being a more informed citizen. At CASA here in Oklahoma County, we have quarterly open houses. So even if you want to just come be a lucky-loo and Mm -hmm. see our new building and learn a little bit more about what we do, our next open house will be April 29th, 2020 from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Come take a tour of the space, learn about uh, a child's experience in foster care, and learn how you can get involved. Yes. 
We love it. We love looky-loos. Again, we will never pressure you to become a CASA volunteer, so it is safe to just come and be like, hmm, this is cool, good job, (laughs) but not for me. That's okay. That's okay. All right. I think that pretty well wraps up our programming that we had scheduled. You promised me a dad joke at the end of this episode. I did. I did, and I'm not a dad. I'm a woman with no children, so (laughs) here we are. But this one... Now, it does fit in the dad joke genre of jokes. Okay. Um, But I'll be honest, this originated from my niece, who is 10, so also not a dad. Um, She and I having brunch um, made up this joke. Okay. Ourselves. So I feel like I should get famous off of this joke. (laughs) What do you call three funny men? What do you call three funny men? (laughs) Hee hee hee. (laughs) i was sitting here waiting for you to laugh now there it is or is that are you laughing at me thinking i was gonna get a laugh (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry but that's good this is an audio podcast so you couldn't see the the hopeful expression (laughs) on kathy's face always it's it's very it's very sweet how old is is your niece she's 10 she's 10 so i think that's quite clever for a 10 year old yeah um, well, she is clever. That's a that's a very uh, that's a very popsicle stick kind of joke. You know, this yeah. way you, you read the joke and then you eat the popsicle and you get the answer. You know what though? I mean, wholesome funny is a little more difficult. That's um, true. I can that's true. you know you some some of the stand up comedians you're like that is funny right. that is inappropriate but not, that is funny. Not everyone can be an Uncle Joey. No, <laughs> cut it out. Cut it out. <laughs> well, I want to thank everybody for listening. Yeah. Our our program's website is okcountycasa.org. You can also get there through achildneedyou.org. And like Kathy said, please follow us on social media. Subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends about this podcast. We'd really like to spread the message that we're providing some industry information and resources pertinent to foster care. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything else you'd like to add before we close? Well, I've sure done a lot of talking, so <laughs> I pretty much always have things to talk about, but um, since we have this new outlet for that, I'm going to just say thank you. Thank you so much for um, listening to what we have to say. There's a lot going on here um, that deserves to be heard. So, All right. Well, this is BC Phillips for Kathy North saying, foster this. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the talent and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Casa of Oklahoma County Incorporated. Any content provided by our hosts, contributors, or affiliates are of their opinion and their opinion only. 